This is Tanaka. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 46, Deuteronomy chapters 20 through 23. The beginning of chapter 20 sets out a great premise for a TV show. A body is discovered in the middle of the Oresund Bridge, which connects Copenhagen in Denmark with Malmo in Sweden. The body, cut in half at the waist, has been placed precisely on the border between the countries thus falling under the jurisdiction of both the Danish and Swedish police agencies. Except the body isn't cut in half, nor is it precisely in between Denmark and Sweden. He died hours before this accident ever happened. So our accident is not an accident at all. The body, it seems, is in between two towns in the land of Israel, so the elders and judges trek on out with measuring tape, to see which town is nearer to the corpse. And whichever town is closer, its elders and judges take a she-calf that has not been yoked and proceed down to a wadi with water in it. One that hasn't ever been tilled. And, there is a point to this, they break the neck of the she-calf there and wash their hands over the she-calf and in the presence of the priest to whom extraordinary cases are taken to, they swear out a statement in which they state that they did not kill the anonymous victim nor do they know who did, and they ask God not to blame them for the shedding of innocent blood. And uh, since we're talking about innocent blood, Moshe moves on to discuss what happens when you're fighting a war and see an attractive woman and take her as a wife. She's, She's the innocent I was referring to before. But before she's fully integrated into your household, not like you've asked her or anything. You make her shave her head and trim her nails and sit in mourning in your house for her dead parents. Parents your buddies probably killed when they were despoiling her town. But that, that's just quibbling. And if after all that you still find her attractive, then you get to sleep with her. <laughs> but if you're a bit put off by the short hair and all those tears... You can't sell her. But instead, you must set her free. And uh, since we're on the subject of being a bit put off, if you happen to be married to two women and you're put off by one of them, but that one, the one you don't like so much, has produced your firstborn heir, you can't prefer the firstborn of the woman you prefer. Moshe instructs, You must give the true heir two-thirds of your property, even though you can't stand his mother. (laughs) And since we're talking about family members we can't stand, when your son is stubborn and rebellious and doesn't listen to you despite taking away his cellular phone, you're to bring him to the elders of the town and say, quote, Our son, this one, is a stubborn one and a rebel. He does not hearken to our voice. A glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men pelt your son with stones until he dies. Quote, so you shall burn out the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear and be awed. And since we're on the subject of putting people to death, when you condemn someone to death and impale him, or probably him, on a stake, you shouldn't leave his carcass there overnight, but take him down and bury him in the same day. And since we're talking about stakes, if you see your neighbor's ox, get it, stake, ox, anyway, or or sheep walking around aimlessly, clearly lost, you're not to pretend not to see it, 
if only to save yourself a hassle. You must try to return it. And if you don't know who the owner of the animal is, you must make a good faith effort to house the animal and take care of it until the owner comes a-calling. And the same applies, by the way, to inanimate objects, except for the feeding part. And since we're talking about inanimate objects, a woman should not wear a man's inanimate object and vice versa. And when you encounter a bird's nest with eggs, send the mother away before taking the eggs. And when you build a house, be sure to build a guardrail on the roof so that no one falls off and dies. Insurance companies stuff their piggy banks with your money but pay little if you're injured in a car wreck. I'm attorney Jamie Casino and I smash money out of stingy insurance companies. When you Moshe continues to serve him up from the commandment buffet, enjoining the Jews to maintain boundaries and separation between different seeds, plow animals, and fabrics. And then there's tzitzit, the knotted string for each corner of one's garment. And then there's the fickle husband who marries, then slut shames his wife. Once her integrity is restored by a public display of her hymenal blood, the lying scumbag, I mean the husband, has to pay a hundred units of silver to his father-in-law. And then he has to stay married and can never send his wife away. Ever. But if she was in fact a slut, well then. And since we're getting all sexy time, if you catch a man sleeping with another man's wife. That's right, both of them. The same is true for a man who sleeps with an affianced virgin in town. Because if the virgin didn't want to sleep with the man, she would have cried out, wouldn't she? But... If the incident happened on the outskirts of town, in a field where all rapes happen, then the man is to die. But the girl is blameless for, quote, when the spoken-for girl cried out, there was no deliverer for her. But if a man rapes an unaffianced virgin and they are discovered, then the rapist must pay the girl's father 50 units of silver, and as an added bonus, he gets to marry the girl he raped and can never send her away. <laughs> And since we're now done talking about happy marriages, let's talk about prohibited ones, such as the one between a man and his father's wife, or one between a man with a crushed or mangled penis and any woman, or between a mamzer and a Jew, or for that matter, an Amorite or Moabite and a Jew. And while we're at it, you shouldn't get together with an Edomite or Egyptian either, although the children of the third generation of this union would eventually be admitted into the community. And since we're talking about the community, let's talk about how the community conducts itself in wartime and in bathroom time. In both instances, Moshe instructs the people need to remain ritually pure. So wash with water after a night accident and use a spike to dig a little hole when you do your number twos. And make sure all that happens outside the camp, because the camp is where God walks about, and it is to be sacred. And before the chapter concludes, some more samplings from the Commandment Buffet. Do not return a runaway slave to his master. Shelter him and treat him well. Do not allow your daughters to become sacred sex workers. Do not bring the avails of sacred sex work, be it from a female or male, as your donation to the temple. Do not charge a fellow Jew interest, but feel free to gouge the hell out of non-Jews. Okay, it didn't say gouge the hell, but it didn't say charge a competitive rate either. Also, if you make a pledge to the temple or to God, pay it in a timely fashion. And last, the law of usufruct, which permits you to snack on grapes when you walk in someone else's vineyard, or to pluck ears of grain 
when you pass in someone else's field. In either case, you can't consume more than what comes casually. You can't take any grapes to go, nor can you use a sickle to collect more than a handful of grain. So, there's a lot to talk about in this week's portion. Let's get to it. So, in, in previous episodes, I had mentioned that Deuteronomy, that is Moshe's farewell speech, recaps many of the commandments, but levels up on the social justice. The numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board. Oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. And there were many notable examples of where certain laws and regulations read even today as very progressive, and others are grounded in a vision of a just society based on fairness and equality, and justified by their reminder, remember you were slaves in Egypt. But this episode is a little different. It's mostly about women's bodies. Many of the police procedurals, and there have been really good ones of late, often begin with a woman's dead body. I've already alluded to the Scandinavian crime drama The Bridge at the beginning of this episode, but there's also Nick Pizzolatto's True Detective, Jane Campion's Top of the Lake, the Danish series The Killing, and Alan Cubitt's The Fall on BBC. He also wrote Prime Suspect, which also had a strong female lead, and also a raped dead woman. I'm sure there are others. And yes, I suppose if there is a dead body on the floor, the chances it will be a woman's body... I guess is one in two, but one does wonder why so many of these bodies keep belonging to women. Word is clean lady found her oh. early this morning. Oh, still alive. Well said access. Ow, my foot hurts, but I I'm okay. I think this injury has given me crime solving powers. It's law and order, colon, mind beauty. I'm done. Who is this shit? And again, I suppose the answer is obvious. In the hard-boiled, noirish world of male cops and criminals written by men, women largely fall into one of two categories. Corpse or eye candy. Some of these shows have complex, well-rendered female leads, and as in the case of The Fall, even the eye candy is given some depth and pathos before they're turned into corpses. In a sense, this week's portion has all the trappings of a biblical police procedural without the bedraggled family man or macho troubled loner or philosophy-spouting burnout trying to work out their partner issues while catching the bad guy. And though the killer of the corpse in No Man's Land is never caught, we know who is not responsible for the death, but that is less troubling than what follows. Here is where we really see how truly disposable women's bodies are. And when I say disposable, I mean disposable, like, like a pen or a diaper. You use it when you need it, and get rid of it when you're done. And when I say you, I mean, I mean men use women's bodies when they need it and dispose of it when they're done. And if you're a man and resent me saying men, well, too bad. Because the primary disposer of women's bodies are men. Not space aliens, not sons of God, not land sharks, men. A woman saying yes to a date with a man is literally insane and ill-advised. And the, the whole species existence counts on them doing it. And I don't know how they, how do women still go out with guys? When you consider the fact that there is no greater threat to women than men. We're the number one threat to women. Globally and historically, we're the number one cause of, of injury and mayhem to women. We're the worst thing that ever happens to them. 
That's true. You know what our number one threat is? Heart disease. That's the whole thing. That's it. Just our own heart going, dude, I can't. You can't keep doing this. I told you three strokes ago that this is not smart. But women still think, yeah, I'll go out with you alone at night. What are you, nuts? I'll get in your car with you with my little shoulders. Hi, where are we going? To your death, statistically. How do they still do it? If you're a guy, try to imagine that you, you could only date a half bear, half lion. And you're like, oh, I hope this one's nice. I hope he doesn't do what he's going to do. Now, this kind of behavior isn't coded on the Y chromosome, it's learned, and one could say that this portion is part of that depraved curriculum. And one does not need to get all sisterhood as powerful to unpack all the twisted, messed up assumptions that bubble under the surface of this cesspool of commandments. It's rather clear and straightforward to anyone who would care to read these verses with the slightest modicum of empathy for the eye candy we're supposed to consume. Ah, yes, the male gaze. It just looks and looks and devours and chews up and spits out these women's bodies and leaves corpses and destruction and violation in its wake. And it's glossed over without incident. But to say out loud, hey, men, your male culture is messed up. Men get their undies in a twist and they tout Twitter hashtags, not all men, as if some of these offenses are perpetrated and perpetuated by space aliens or sons of God or land sharks. But hey, it's not all men. Like, what does that even mean? According to Jess Zimmerman over at Time Magazine, not all men is, quote, a familiar kind of bad faith argument, the one where a male interlocutor redirects a discussion about sexism, misogyny, rape culture, or women's rights to instead be about how none of that is his fault. I'll post a link over at the Next Jew and at the Facebook page. But we can look at some examples from the rape culture primer, which is this week's portion. Here's, here's a couple. So you marry a woman, you sleep with her, you hate her, then slut shame her in the hopes that she will be condemned to death as an adulterer. And she's actually not a slut nor an adulterer. Then what happens? Do you get shamed or condemned to death? No way. Just pay off her dad and it all sort of goes away. But you still have to remain married to the woman you've just publicly humiliated and you can never free her from the hell of having to live with a miserable person like you. So who's the one really being punished here? And again, space aliens don't do this. The sons of God don't do this, nor, nor land sharks. This, men do this. Men do this. And then there are all those virgins, right? The affianced or not, the raped or not, where the men have their way with them. And depending on the circumstances, either the women are condemned to death or condemned to marry their rapist because a man who rapes a woman humbles her and now he has to, quote, make good by housing and feeding her and expecting regular sex from her, not because he has to make it up to her, but because no other man would want a humbled woman, which would then put an undue burden on the raped woman's father who would have to take her back and support her for the rest of her life. And again, who does this? Space aliens, sons of God, nope. Land sharks, nope. Men, 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 we, we do this. So why do men get all bent out of shape when women and some men point this out? Well, no one likes to be criticized, especially those of us men who for centuries have been able to act with impunity, which for the whiter of us men has been pretty much since, oh gosh, forever. 
And, and what happens when men act with impunity for such a long time is that they begin to think that when they exert power over women, whether maliciously or benignly, if that's even possible, it's not really acting with impunity. It's just natural. And for someone, that is women, to challenge that, well, it's awkward to say the least because these men are implying who the hell are women anyway that they can tell men what they're doing is not okay. Isn't that like the man's role? So when rape culture is part of Western culture, deeply embedded into its foundational myths and laws, it's not surprising then when the following sequence of events happens. After a misogyny-driven shooting spree claimed six lives at the University of California, Santa Barbara, in May of 2014, women began to share their everyday experiences of violence and degradation at the hands of men at the YesAllWomen hashtag on Twitter. And here's where the surprise comes in. Instead of an outpouring of empathy and self-reflection and a little soul-searching, men decided to shower these women with even more hostility and vitriol. So, I say surprise because for a moment I thought after the UC Santa Barbara incident the reaction would have been different. I, I thought that folks would take this moment to pause and reflect. Who would possibly add any more bile to this? Who would add to this madness and tragedy with threats of stalking and raping and killing? Not space aliens. Not sons of God. Not land sharks. Men. And for that... I'm a lot ashamed. As always, you can leave a comment, question, or comment at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Tanakhcast, T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T. Or at thenextjew.com, or you can leave a comment, question, or comment at the iTunes store, or at Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. And while you're at it, why not leave a review? That way, other folks who are looking for a little Tanakh learning might discover this humble podcast and join in the fun. You're invited to come back and join us next week-ish for episode 47 on the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 24 through 27. Y'all come back now, here. Yeah.